Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Pediatric Chat. My name is Jay Greenspan. I'm chair of pediatrics, and as always, joining me in Pediatric Chat is Paul Rosen. Hi, Paul. Hey there, Jay. This time we have back, and as our expert, Chris Calamaro, you may recall that she gave us a great chat on pediatric sleep, and we had so many questions that we've brought her back for more. Chris is a sleep specialist, is a nurse by training and a PhD, and practices both clinically and has sleep practice, and has done quite a bit of research on sleep, and so she really is a national expert, and we're so pleased to have her. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Jay, and hi, Paul. Hey, Chris. We have joining us a new group of moms. We are recording actually in Villanova, Pennsylvania, at one of the Nemours practices, home of the Villanova champion Wildcats. So Go basketball Cats. team. <laughs> um, in a beautiful facility on a beautiful day. So we want to welcome our moms and I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Erin, and I have two boys, uh, six and nine years old. I am Laura, and I am the mother of a two and a half year old daughter. And also joining us today is a medical student from Jefferson who happened to be roped into our pediatric chat conversation. Hi, I'm Marley Medora. I'm a third-year medical student at Jefferson. Great. So kicking off, Chris, any, yes. any opening comments for us on, on sleep? Oh, so it's the summer and typically kids don't have a regular schedule. So I would love to hear how moms are working to run around, have fun, yet maintain some routine in their lives through the summer. Typically, I think it's almost problematic that we sleep experts really don't tend to, I shouldn't say worry, but when parents come in, we focus more on the school schedule and how sleep impacts that. But the problem with that is we ramp up for school through the end of July and August. Any late nights that have been entrenched into you know, a child's summer and fun and all of that, it makes it difficult that week right before school to get them back on a, a normal routine. So we can touch upon that if you have any questions about that. I have a lot of questions about that, actually. Oh, please ask. <laughs> um, so both of my boys um, are playing soccer two nights a week, and we don't get home from there until after eight. And then they need to shower and they need to get rest. And they're not in bed typically on Tuesdays and Thursdays before nine. And I think that that's probably generous. And then I find myself waking them up the next day for camp. And my nine-year-old has probably been up three times in the middle of the night also. So what, if anything, aside from skipping soccer, can I do to help them get a better routine when we get, I mean, when we get home, it's, it's crazy, it's chaotic, everyone's screaming and yelling and we're rushing and it's not good. I mean, it's really just not good in our house. It's tough. They're the it's kind hard. of schedules that do get crazy. Is it like that in the fall? Do you have soccer two nights a week? I'm not 100% sure. We generally have soccer one night a week in the fall, but they also have Hebrew school one night, but it's not that late. I think it's later. It tends to be later in the summer because it's light out later. Right. Right. So the great thing for your children is that they're getting exercise. Sometimes the flip side to that is that when people exercise at night, instead of calming us and relaxing us, it really depends on the individual. For some kids, it's a stimulant. They're revved up, they're ready to go, and it's really difficult to settle them. So when you get home, what I would really recommend that you do is if you can limit any kind of technology when they get home, limit the television, really try to have everyone chill, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a small snack before bed, their baths their, or their showers, and then some reading with a kind of a dimmer light. Just that 
regular schedule that slows everyone down typically helps at nighttime settle in because it really is. You're right. There's no way that you can change your schedule, but what you can do is maybe calm it down Okay. at night, even if it means separating them, if they're irritated with one another because they're hot and sweaty. That's really sometimes the benefit if you do that is just calming everyone down, getting everyone to slow down before bed. And I find that that recommendation, and usually they talk about that with the National, at the National Sleep Foundation is, you know, quieting down that evening routine, keeping it the same, keeping everyone on the same schedule at night up through school age has been very, very helpful. So even a nine-year-old benefits from the same kind of routine every night. Correct. And where it gets to be tricky is as they hit adolescence and they want more independence because truly as puberty, and it's hard to think about that with a two-year-old, but it does come, right? (laughs) As puberty sets, right, and you're getting closer to it. As puberty really starts to set in, that's when kids become night owls. We know just even hormonally and from just all the changes that go on that that pre-adolescent to adolescent stage, we see real changes in sleep. And definitely you see that happen and then you have to adjust your schedule for it. But again, even in what we call entrenching those behaviors early um, really helps that adolescent then when they hit that age where they want to stay up. Do you think that trying to put them to bed earlier on the nights that they're not having activities helps? I mean, can you really catch up on sleep? You can, and you'll see sometimes weekends mm-hmm. they do. Um, what what really is recommended is that they, they're up in the morning. You're doing a good, good job. Believe it or not, camp is probably helping them. What's probably the frustration is they do need more sleep because they're going to bed late those two nights. Uh, what time do they typically go to sleep on the off? I'd like them in bed at 7, but it's it's closer Even to like, like 7.30, Yeah, which o'clock. is great. 8 o'clock is a good time to get them the, the settled. If you have the dimming shades, that helps quite a bit since it's summer and it's later. So if you can do that on the days that they don't have soccer, I would recommend that just to help them. There's really no true catch-up we know with sleep, even though we, we call it sleep debt. And that's why you see children sleep in on the weekends, but we recommend that they that you don't allow them, that you try to keep them on somewhat of the same schedule even on the weekends, because that that helps them on Sunday night when Sunday night rolls around and it's school the next day. And I hope the medical student's paying attention because probably Sunday night she's up late, right? When Mondays roll around, then they're able to get up easily and you're not struggling to to awaken them in the morning. And um, how long before bed should they be off? the electronics and the television and all of that stuff. So we have recommendations. um, And I have to tell you, the recommendations are around one to two hours, which sometimes is difficult for families when it's homework. What I find, and Marley, I don't know if you remember this when you're in high school, what I find even with school age now through high school is that with all the multitasking, I think, in fact, what came up for me recently was Pokemon Go. Kids were out late playing Pokemon Go, so they have that screen with their cell phones that kind of tricks the mind into thinking or the the brain into thinking it's still daytime, and it pushes back Mm -hmm. our melatonin. It pushes back those hormones that help us sleep. So the more you can decrease technology within that one to two hours before bed, the more it does help them fall asleep easily and readily. There you go. So Aaron, good. You, work. You, you, Aaron, you mentioned he gets up a couple times during the night. Yeah. This is your nine-year-old. My nine-year-old. Why is that? Yeah. So 
That was my next I mean, question. I Thank you, Jen. I generally think it's because I screwed it up as when he was an infant, oh. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> he used to wake up, and I'd go in, and I'd nurse him, and he'd eventually fall asleep, and I would very gingerly put him back in his crib until he woke up. I don't know. I mean, Dr. McNett thinks it's because he's used to it, and he comes in, and we tuck him back in, and he it's like his like check-in. Um and we haven't really been able to break him of it. I will say that now that he's more tired, he's probably closer to one time, maybe two. He also, I should say, the nine-year-old gets up very early in the morning. He, wow. during the school year, is like a 5.45. Um, he's about 6.15 now that he's a little busier during the day. He's a terrible terrible sleeper you know sometimes when when you hear that there's obviously you you always want to make sure there's not anything physiological Mm -hmm. that may be an issue so one thing is to when you go back to your your primary care providers to talk with him or her just to say have you done a sleep study yet that's sometimes helpful that That may be something i would really recommend because it'll give you really a good view of what goes on during the night we find that it is the gold standard for determining if there's any kind of sleep disorder. Okay. Um, sometimes if that comes out to be negative, what it is, is you're right. Breaking them of that habit, a child of that habit of getting up at night. My last one, and I had um, to the to the audience, I alluded to that before we got on my last one, despite me being in sleep research, was probably my worst sleeper. And he would get up frequently at night and I and you know despite any any testing everything was fine and it is now but through school age he would get up probably one time at night we really had to work with him to say okay you need to stay in bed and I think that really helped him to work through that but I would definitely talk with your primary care provider just to make sure that there isn't any reason why sometimes kids with sleep apnea Sometimes if they're getting up to go to the bathroom at night, you can look at some underlying causes. So he always does get up to go to the bathroom, but I don't know that he gets up because he really has to go to the bathroom. He does go, but I often wonder if he just gets up and goes to the bathroom because it is his routine. Right, right. And he often comes into our room. Right. Even though he passes his own bathroom, he likes to come into our room and wake us up to go to the bathroom. So a few things even we recommend to even start to shut that down mm-hmm. after everything's found to be, you know, normal is that um, even for older kids, if you put a bell on their door and you hear it when they get up, then you're able to, ju- you know, get up and say, okay, once you're in the bathroom, don't come in our room. You need to go back to bed. And that kind of starts to break that cycle of waking up. And it's tough. It's tough. Once they're used to that, you gradually just really have to help him get that full night's sleep because sleep disruption is just as tough as if you don't get enough sleep. And we know that. So it really does affect the quality of his sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would really encourage going back and saying, hey, do we need to, to look at just a sleep study just to rule out any kind of issue? So I am on the flip side oh, with my yeah. daughter. And it's something that I, uh, my husband and I are very careful of who we share this with, especially friends of ours, you know, they have new babies. <laughs> so our daughter... Um, so I nursed the whole nine and she would, um, we did a, she would, you know, wake up nor- as a normal infant every couple hours to nurse. Um, and we co-slept, she slept next to us. And then about five, six months, we moved her to her nursery and we did sort of a modified cry it out. So we put her down at maybe seven, seven thirty, And at one, she'd wake up and logically my husband and I were like, all right, she's probably hungry. So I would go in, nurse her, put her back to bed. And then at three, 
We're like, all right, she's fine. So around five, six months, we did sort of a, I don't want to use the word cry it out, 15 minutes, my husband would go in, and it was three nights of that, and then that's all she wrote. So our daughter really loves sleep. So even she'll ask to go for a nap. She's been doing that since, I don't know, like 18 months. She'll go to the step and point to her crib and want to go to bed. Even a few weeks ago, I was at the beach, and a woman, she pointed to her stroller and said, I nap now, Mommy? And a woman came over. She's like, did I just see that? And like, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it. Just lucky. Yeah, That's right. so now we're, I'm off for the month of July. And so normally, so as a freelancer, I make my hours. So, um, but typically, I work nine to five. So on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, so she has to get to the sitters by nine. And then, you know, I pick her up at five. So she's generally up-ish, sometimes a little later or whatever, a little, about quarter to nine. Our sitter's very close by. And then she goes to bed at eight and sleeps and takes a three-hour nap. She just broke her two-nap routine, I want to say, just three months two. ago. Right. Right. So now that we don't really have anywhere to go except, you know, I'll go to a bar class here and there or make plans once in a while, she sleeps till 930 in the morning. Wow. I know. I feel like I'm like that's confessing a, something. No, but that's, she sleeps, so around 12, 12 hours at night? Correct. So Good. we put her down okay. and we've tried both. We've tried putting her, oh, I know, people hate me. So, so, no. <laughs> so people will, you know, well, I'll, well, people have suggested maybe put her down earlier or put her down later. And we've, my husband and I have tried both. We put her down at seven. We put her down at nine. Um, but kind of eight o'clock, she asks, she starts sucking her thumb and she points, she goes, I need to take a nap. And we do a bit, uh, she suffers from severe eczema, so we have to bathe her every night and, you know, all that stuff. But we put her down and, you know, about nine, I check the monitor, I make sure she's breathing because there's definite days that I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is she okay? And then she wakes up and I think the only reason she wakes up is because she's hungry. She wakes up and, you know, wants to eat. Right. So, and then she'll wake up and, and this month, it's been so she wakes up around 9 9 30 come 11 30 she wants a nap so then she'll sleep from 9 30 until like 1 30 quarter to two wow so like she's like a big so she gets here. goes <laughs> yeah. back to bed at 9 30 9 30 she wakes up 9 9 30 okay um and, and then, then goes back to bed at one thirty. well now i call it brunch because it's ridiculous and then she wants at around 11 11 30 she'll ask to take a nap sometimes i've been pushing it off because i find the absurdity of it so i push it off to like one you know, and she'll wake up maybe like three thirty-four. So I'm flexible, but at some point, I don't know whether. And she's healthy. Doctor Carton's, you know, check oh, her no, out. Oh no, that's I mean. a that's a great that's a great schedule for a child. I don't know a single like, and I I was the last of my friends to have a baby, and I have friends that are nurse practitioners, oncology nurses. And, you know, I don't know anybody else's child who enjoys sleep as much as my daughter. My, my first one was like that. And that's why when I like when I too. ended up with my third one, I was embarrassed as, a, as someone who was doing a sleep fellowship <laughs> to talk about the fact that I had a child who couldn't sleep. So celebrate that. That's great. And, you know, even I, I want to encourage you, it gets better. I think they hit adolescence and some kids get better. But celebrate that that sleep schedule. It's great for her developmentally. It's great for her eczema. We know that as children don't sleep, some of their what we call comorbid diseases or those things they may have, asthma, eczema, any of those illnesses, even a child with, with type 1 or type 2 diabetes, their sugars can get worse in the presence of poor sleep. So it's wonderful for her eczema even that she's able to sleep.
Is it because she starts as a, as I talked earlier with you, she starts preschool in the So you'll have fall. to get her up in the morning. This is so we have That's to be at challenge. school at nine fifteen, fed, dressed. Because normally now, you know, she wakes up and my sitter feeds her breakfast. Wow. So literally right. it's just changing her and getting out the door. Right. Um right. and but now we have to be in, you know, and it's in Bryn Mawr from where we live, so it's about 15 10 minute drive. So what time are you waking her up then? That's Do you play? That's what I want to know. Okay. So I don't want her morning, I mean, and she she's the queen of just she'll lay in her crib and just and I say I'm like she's meditating. She's she an easy relax. baby, right? But, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, I guess we can't complain. But I just don't know how then a morning routine for a child who does enjoy just lounging so to speak so she how do I get her up dressed and ready she has to be at school at 9 15. So what I would recommend and I'm sure Jay and Paul you probably had to do that at one point or another with with your young babies and even you Erin is is give yourself a good hour to hour and a half and I would start that in August just so sometime in August so you can get that pattern I know that means you have to get her up because then you'll really be able to see how does she react but how do you need to adjust your time the only concern I have is then so her school is from 9 15 to 11 15 mm-hmm. she's used to then taking that I don't want her to be like falling asleep at school right so I just well once you start that okay. once you started a few weeks before school starts and that's usually what we recommend okay is to start any early mornings within at least two weeks before school starts. So okay. you can get into a routine and she can get accustomed to the new schedule. I'm sure you found that with your boys as well, getting them ramped up to that early school time. They may not like it, but at least you have an eye, get a good sense of how she's doing when she gets up in the we'll morning. We'll be coming right off from Disney World. So oh my goodness, be- <laughs> oh yeah. So you're gonna be up late, right? So I would yeah, give her some days to get back into her routine. Yeah. Then even if you back it off over to a week to two week period, I'd say probably every 15 minutes um, a morning, get her up a little bit earlier each morning. That'll get her used to So start that gradually, early. so yeah. maybe like a 15 minute. So it's not like a throwing ice water on her in the morning. You have to wake up now at seven o'clock, right? right? This is so be something. I, I okay. would <laughs> definitely do it gradually to get her into that kind of early morning. But just give her a couple of days to recover from Is the there fun such of thing Disney as World. too much sleep? There is. That's a great question. Yes. So if you came here and you said that my two-year-old slept nine to nine, got up an hour and then slept another four or five hours, that would require at least an evaluation just as much as someone who's up through the night. So we, we definitely know that children at certain ages need certain amounts of sleep. But we do know that sometimes there's things that are red flags for us. Like if you have a child who is coming home from school every day and they're having to take naps, usually past the age of four to five, children don't need the nap if they're getting adequate sleep at night. So there are things that when we're talking to families that are parents or caregivers, when we hear about, we start to ask more questions about that. What is, so, the, what is the amount of sleep, I suppose, for kind of each? Each age group? Each age group, yeah. Like, And is it... So, you know, piggyback on that. So you have the amount of sleep, but then is it in the, you know, let's say, you know, my daughter sleeps in 12 hours straight. Which is perfect for a two-year-old. That's right. Is it, and then the three-hour nap. Which is So great. is it, would you rather it done all at once or it doesn't matter as long as you get the amount of hours As long as she gets, well, it's important that she's getting good sleep and some children differ. Some children only need, believe it or not, they've, they've really, one of the things the National Sleep Foundation has really 
done in looking at the data or when folks, um, and they've presented the recommendations, they've looked at the research and they found that some children end up needing less sleep. So some two-year-olds only need 10 hours and they sleep a good nap in the afternoon and they're ready to go. Some need that 12 and sleep two to three hours in the afternoon. That's okay. That's not a problem. As they go through school age, we're finding now they still need minimally eight to 10 hours. That's the recommendation through school. And then for adolescents, we really look to see, since most adolescents in this country sleep less than seven hours a night, our recommendation is eight to nine hours a night is really what an adolescent sleeps. So they're, the, they're kind of the rough numbers that we look for. Each child is different, but we anticipate that if they're not sleeping that, we may see you know, the, the sequelae of that, meaning that they're not able to focus in school as well. They may struggle just with frustration uh, much more quickly and that they're tired. So I think you have to look at each child individually and see what, what their sleep patterns are and work with them with that. But there is that range that we hope for for each child. I do want to get into some sleep hygiene questions. Oh, have, okay. But before that. I've had a lot of problems sleeping when I was younger. I guess I, I had a lot of sleep hygiene problems, I think, when I was in middle school and high school. And it always took me a really long time to fall asleep. And then I would get anxious about not sleeping. And then it would make it worse and worse. So I went to my pediatrician and he counseled me on how I should read before bed, not have screen time. And that really helped. So that, that was in middle school. And then I went to high school. And by the time I got home from all my activities and I had homework to do, there was no way that I could get to sleep before 10, 30, 11. And then for my high school, I had to wake up around like 6.30. So I was falling asleep in two to three classes a day. So I think that a lot of other adolescents have that same problem. And at that point, I was a good sleeper. I was able to calm down. But the reality of it was I wasn't getting eight to nine hours. So what would you recommend to moms whose kids are tired and they're trying, but just the realities of the situation make it so that they can't get that a lot of time that they need? That's a great question. And I think um, first, my question is, are you struggling? Do you have sleep difficulties now? No, I've worked hard at it. Okay. No matter what, I <laughs> always you've worked sleep at it, right. eight hours Good. a night. Good. And that's here. I'm going to have some problems. <laughs> yeah, you might right with uh, starting call and all those fun yeah. things. Right. So I, I think that the, the first thing is, is the reason why we encourage even from infancy, to really work hard. So don't worry, don't stress. Eventually, they'll get their sleep, right? Because you do want to encourage those healthy behaviors or sleep hygiene, Jay, that you mentioned. You'll hear that term from your pediatrician or other healthcare provider, non-physician healthcare provider. One of the things that we really do say, though, when it, they hit adolescence is, well, I will talk to a teen and say, whatever you do, the first thing I want you to do is take a deep breath and know you will finally fall asleep. And that's okay. So not to lay there and stress at night, I think is the most important thing that sometimes you just don't feel like falling asleep. It's that what we call night owl syndrome for the adolescent that truly is a characteristic of adolescence. What happens, though, is what you brought up is the screen time. The busyness at night that starts at school age where you, we have to learn to control for that. A few things I do recommend is I find with many adolescents, and I'm, I'm wondering some of the parents and caregivers out there find the same, is that when I truly ask an adolescent, tell me your schedule when you get home, I find that when they're doing their homework, despite the loads that they get, 
they'll do their homework and then the phone buzzes and someone says, oh my gosh, did you get so-and-so's Instagram or Snapchat? I can't believe they sent that picture. And then they go and they look that up and then they might go on Facebook or they might go do, as I mentioned earlier, Pokemon Go. And all of a sudden now, all that distraction comes into play. So what was maybe two hours of homework becomes four hours of homework and there's not that focus. So I encourage families to really try to limit screen time. I encourage the adolescent school age even to start talking with them about, okay, we're going to take away as much computer time as we can other than what you need for your homework. And then we'll focus on school and then you can talk to your friends for a period of time, but really try to limit that technology at night. And then obviously caffeine. Are you a caffeine drinker or were you in high school? So my math teacher in high school saw me falling asleep and she told me to start drinking coffee. And that's when I started. Oh, those math teachers. And I think she was right. (laughs) I needed it at that time. Who is she? I need to email her. Anyway, what what we do find is after 12 o'clock is usually the recommendation to stop caffeine. So it's even paying attention to caffeinated products. I'm amazed at what's in you know, we have pantyhose that is impregnated with caffeine for ladies who want slimmer thighs. So, you know, we have cookies that are impregnated with caffeine. Everything has caffeine added to it. The problem with that then is sometimes you don't know when your child picks something up and says, can we try this? And you buy it, you find out it has caffeine. Snickers, I think it's Snickers Go, has 60 milligrams of caffeine in it, the amount almost of a cup of coffee. So, You know, when I see children at Wawa, I wonder if parents even realize when they pick up the Snickers with caffeine in it, that it has caffeine in it. So it's really limiting your caffeine intake for your children after 12 o'clock. So, you know, in the morning, it's okay. I have my two cups in the morning and I'm good to go. But it's really limiting that because of how long it stays in our system. The second thing, again, is the multitasking and the technology at night. And, but the third thing is, is at some point is reminding your adolescent, you know, I know you're going to have nights where you feel like staying up and that's, that's okay. You need to be able to get your sleep. You need to make sure you're doing all the steps with sleep hygiene in the beginning, like limiting screen time. But, you know, there are those times where anyone just sometimes you can't sleep at night and encouraging them that's normal. So I don't know if your pediatrician told you those same things. I'm hoping they did. Fabulous. So by the way, speaking of that screen time, how about having the TV in your room and all that? Are there certain rules out there that... We have now in this country, probably close to 50 to 60% of preschoolers have television in their bedroom. So I cannot stress enough to encourage parents not only to take it out of their children's room, but role model the behavior. And I always say it's hard to take a TV out of your school age or adolescence room if you go in your room at 1130 and watch uh, Jimmy Fallon, right? Or Kimmel or whoever you like to watch. So I think setting up those healthy behaviors with sleep hygiene or getting into that healthy decompression at night where you limit all technology, including television. Did you have a TV in your room? Oh, good news. Tell your parents they get a gold star for that. That's great. Do you ever teach um, meditation as a way of, because that's how I personally do it. And maybe that's something now as you've been talking, I think, you know, I work with Elizabeth, even though she's two, she sees me, you know, meditate and things like that. And we talk about calming our body and things. So body awareness and um, mindfulness, mindfulness, exactly. So what age do you recommend that being perhaps something? That's great. You're starting now. I think Dr. Rosen, who is a great fan, and I think an incredible expert at resources with alternate therapies. 
I think that's a great one to start even at a young age. If you can have children just aware of their bodies, aware of their emotional IQ, sometimes I think is a good way to put it, that really helps. Then they can learn some self-calming or self-soothing. Like you mentioned earlier about allowing your daughter to cry it out. We call that in sleep terms, we call gradual extinction. Is that, that's just a, a, it's a terrible term, isn't it? But that's the coined phrase. And they learn to self-soothe. So they get, they learn to have an understanding of how to calm themselves down. So that's an important thing to start at a very early age. She's now starting to vocalize, I'm mad. And what are you mad about? Well, I want that, like, she's now being able to, you know, kind of share with us. Which is great. Her emotions. Yes. It's great when it's, you know, not dinner time or when I'm trying to get her in the car. But she definitely, you know, I don't like that. Or I don't, you know, so she's able to do that. And I think that that's kind of... Hand in hand. I still time. get calls from my 24 year old. What? I don't like that. So you're not. <laughs> so there's no end in sight. Right. There is no end but in sight. But that's good to know that that Wonderful. is something that can help them, you know, even down the road right. to continue that. But is it too, at age two, too young? Oh, no. I, what do you to... think, Dr. Rose? What do you think, Paul? I think that's a great age to really start if they have the the ability to understand how to start to. She probably has those self soothing behaviors because you taught her how to calm herself down by putting her in the crib and letting her cry. So some of that's already what you unknowingly probably even did with her. So and she's a thumb sucker and she rubs her belly so she knows what she does when she's frustrated. She knows kind of how to bring it down. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris. I mean, getting all these healthy behaviors and habits, whether it's sleep hygiene or eating and nutrition or exercise, I think the sooner you get those habits going, hopefully they'll continue them. I mean, I think, Chris, you know, we talked about in our practices, we're seeing all these kids with chronic fatigue and uh, kids are getting in rheumatology, you know, they come with muscle and joint pain. And then you start asking them the history that Chris would do is how many Red Bulls are you drinking and what time are you not playing video games anymore? And when the answers come back, well, I play video games till, you know, two in the morning and I sleep until noon. And then it becomes pretty clear why their energy is so low and the sleep hygiene is really poor. And Chris, maybe you can comment further on this interrelation between energy and sleep hygiene. Oh, I, I can. In fact, you know, it's interesting, Paul, that you bring that up. My, I'll give you an example. My 15-year-old had a very severe fracture of the two lower legs in his, of his bone in a basketball game in January. Thank you to Dr. Sukin Shaw, who did wonderful surgery and pinned his leg, but he couldn't do anything. So here's an athlete with all this energy. The only way he could do anything because he couldn't get around and really couldn't weight bear, so he couldn't hang out with his friends for a good month was to play video games and connect with his friends that way. And it did really set up this behavior of, okay, now I have all this energy and I can't go to bed at night. So it ties in with, I think, the good thing of your sons getting their, their exercises, they're getting that energy out, even though it's later at night. That does help them with just getting some of that frustration out, getting you know the frustration of the day out, getting their energy from sitting in school all day. It, it helps to at least calm them. It helps us with our endorphins that are released that are calming. But when you don't have that, what it can set up, especially with that screen time, is you're wide awake, you're playing all these high energy games like Call of Duty, or I don't even care if it's Pokemon or Pac-Man, you're still sound and noise. And instead of being a calming thing, it's a stimulant. 
So it even furthers that feeling of having all this energy and not being able to calm yourself down. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, again, we get all these teenagers coming in and, and the parents are really upset that they have no energy, they have no focus, they're having memory loss. And then when you really dive into mood the disorders, sleep, mood right? disorder, and when you, keep, when you dive into the sleep history, you're finding they're not getting enough sleep, they're going to bed too late. And it's also, they don't have a regular wake time either. So their wake time and sleep time may have this wide range. So when I say to the kids, what time do you go to the bed? It's, it depends, anywhere between 11 and three. So they have this wide range of what time they're going to bed and a wide range of when they're waking up, depending if it's a weekend or weekday. And I think that variability really just That's messes right. up their, their cycle. We are. We're creatures of habit, if you think about it. And routine is a good thing. And it's a great thing for kids. And I even think of, I had sent a patient once to Paul, and she struggled terribly with sleep, had chronic pain, finally started to exercise, despite this severe pain syndrome, started to exercise, got outside, lost weight. He's doing great. She's sleeping at night. And it's amazing, just simple, what, what Paul mentioned earlier, just simple, healthy behaviors, what it can do for our bodies. And she's a success with that. So yeah. what exactly is sleep hygiene? I feel like... Oh, that's a word. Yeah. So you'll hear it. And is. you know, it's funny because some people in the sleep world don't like that term. Some do. I, I think it, it, it's kind of a good way of saying sleep behaviors at night. So a sleep routine, you'll hear those words used interchangeably. And really what it's about is setting, as we talked earlier, setting those same behaviors on a regular basis, like you probably have done with your daughter, you know, setting so she knows when that time hits, this is what I do. So I look at patterns before sleep that help the sleep process. So again, as, as Paul mentioned, even the more we can get children off of, for those in the audience, the more you can get your child off of the video games, out, you know, not watching TV. The great thing about DVR now, tell them they can DVR their show, and then they can watch it during the day or when they get home from school. And at least that protects their need to slow down in their time an hour or two right before bed. Well, what we've learned from you, Chris, over and over again is that sleep is incredibly important. It's important for your well-being. It's important for your mental health and your physical health. And that it doesn't come magically all the time by itself. You have to be intentional about preparing for it and about parenting for it. And it's something that if you do spend some time thinking about from the time the baby is born in the back to sleep and safe cribs and all that, which we touched on last time, to you know how to manage an adolescent who's struggling with early school that we're all trying to change a little bit, but the challenges of day-to-day life, soccer, school, etc. It's very important. And if you can do it right, you can set them up for good mental, physical health, better grades, happier kids that may even appreciate all the work you did as a parent. That's right. That's right. Thanks so much for joining us. Any final thoughts before we uh, close this segment down? Paul? Just getting what Aaron said about feeling guilty. And, you know, I, I mean, I um, talked to a lot of parents that, where, right? <laughs> you know, if the sleep isn't perfect, you know, parents really feel bad and they feel like they're not doing a good job. So I think, Chris, just, you know, ending with some encouraging words. Oh, I just want to encourage everyone. I mean, sometimes you just have a child with a personality and they struggle with sleep, just like they might struggle with being an eater that eats a certain way, the picky eater syndrome, any of those things. So you can't feel guilty. But I think what you can do and this is from even my personal experience as well, you know, anecdotally, as well as the, the knowledge I know from research is set those patterns if you can. And you still may have somebody who gets up once or twice a night, but at least you can ensure that you're doing those things that you can manage. 
have a yeah, long way to go. That, no guilt. To do. No guilt, though, <laughs> please. And I, I hope in some way for those folks that are out there that they don't have any guilt about And when he, when he reaches puberty, he won't want to come out of his room. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to sure, knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for joining oh, us. Thank and, you. Uh, it was great to talk to everyone. Thank you very much. To our listeners, if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future pediatric chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.